Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. I asked Gretchen to read the scripture because it's just, since I'll be jumping right in, this will help the whole message make sense. And then one more word of introduction. So we've been going through Ephesians, and you may notice that she's going to be reading from Ephesians 6. I take full responsibility for the flipping of the order. This would be Ephesians 5. So in a couple weeks, the, um, I'm going to have a high school reunion, and I'm on the planning team for my high school reunion. And uh, we thought it proper to invite anybody that is coming back to Lutheran West uh, for any for the homecoming to invite him here to church, and I thought it would be great if Jim preached. But the way I had the schedule, I had to rearrange things so Jim could uh, preach that week. So uh, because you know Jim did chapels, and a lot of us high schoolers rem- remember that. So Jim will be preaching, and we might have a few uh, Lutheran high school people here in a couple weeks. So, Gretchen, Ephesians 6. I'm reading from Ephesians 6, beginning at um, verse 10. The whole armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Gretchen. So uh, pray with me. Lord, I pray you would open our hearts to your word and your truth and open my uh, lips and my heart also more deeply that we could experience you, that we could see you more clearly. Uh, Lead us on in you, Jesus. In your name we ask this. Amen. So Ephesians 6 kind of has some interesting stuff in it, doesn't it? And and I was thinking about the demonic, and I I believe I've told this story before, so I'll just give you the Reader's Digest version. Years ago, I was in Cambridge, and and I met a a guy uh, just walking down the street, and he happened to be uh, kind of a professor type, and we got in a conversation. He says, you want to come over and have tea? And I'm like, sure. And uh, had tea with him. We got together a few other times. And I remember one time when we were together, he's talking, and it was as if somebody took a flash picture 
or almost like looking at you guys because these lights are really bright, a flash picture, and I saw this spirit, this demon, like come out of him or reveal itself and then go back in. And I was like, you know, and I started saying like kind of under my breath, like I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. But he's still talking on and on as if nothing's coming out of my mouth. And finally, I just get loud and I interrupt him and I go, you have a demon in you. And he goes, I know it's easier to live with him than fight against him. I'm like, you know, he didn't want to be delivered. He didn't want, like, this is, you know, who he, who he was. And we live in a world with spiritual beings that are around. And some, every once in a while, someone may call me or talk to me and say, hey, I, I'm having these weird things happen, or I'm having these experiences, and they seem to be, like, supernatural or something, you know, and um, can we pray? Can we talk about, you know, can we get together and... Uh, I, I am not one who, who is all for, like, you know, head-spinning exorcisms, body levitating kind of thing, because the Bible says about us, and we've been talking about this, that who are you in Christ? I think when you are struggling with any kind of spiritual force, it's always good to remember that when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, and when Ephesians says that he has been raised far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and then in chapter 2, it says, you've been raised with Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and we are seated with him. So somehow... In us, in Christ, heaven and earth are touching, right? There's a connection somehow in heaven and earth in us. I mean, it, it's, it's mystic, it's beautiful, it's a reality that we live into. And so if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, Jesus is protecting his church, isn't he? Jesus is, is looking out for us. So what do you do if you've got like struggling or sensing demonic? I think James has kind of the, the words for a little exorcism. Check this out. So James 4, 6 through 10. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the first thing you say is, Lord, have mercy on me. I need you. Humble yourself before him. And how do we humble ourselves? We submit. Is there something in your life that you're holding on to? Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's some, something in your life that you're going, no, I can't let go. Who am I? And, and, and the Lord would say, let, let it go. Like Jesus, he has our best interest in mind. Like you can trust him. You can live open-handedly. And most of us are open, close, open, close. That's okay. Just open it then. And then look at these words. Resist the devil and he will flee. That's a promise you can stand on. Humble yourself. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And look at the last part. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look at that. So... If the demonic is involved, if there are these spiritual forces in the heavenly realm, how often are they going to bug you if every time they bug you, you turn it into a worship service? If every time they bug you, you just start saying, you know what, I'm going to just start singing praises from my heart unto the Lord. 
they'll be like, leave that guy, leave that gal alone, because every time you bug them, they just draw near to Jesus. They draw near to the Father, and he draws near to them. Leave them alone, right? Do you, do you see that? It's, it's right there. Mark that in your Bible. If you're struggling, go there. So Ephesians, Paul begins this section, and he says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, notice whose armor it is. Is it your armor? No, it's God's armor, that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. So sometimes I would think, oh, Paul's in prison when he's writing this. He's looking at the, the Roman soldier, and he's using his imagination. You heard Gretchen read about the different pieces of armor, and he's using his imagination. He's like, yeah, look, this could represent that, and this could represent that. And, and yet, as a good Jewish rabbi, this isn't where he got it. He, he didn't get it from the Roman soldier. He got it from Scripture. Paul was steeped in Scripture, and he knew that in Isaiah 59, uh, the Lord said about himself, and he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on a garment of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Paul didn't get it from the guard. He got it from Scripture. And not just that. Check this out. Another place in Isaiah. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Take up the sword of the Spirit, right? With the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Paul has all this stuff in mind. Sure, maybe the, the soldier triggered some of these memories of Scripture, but it was Scripture that he was bathed in. Even when he talks about have your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel, how beautiful are the feet of him who bring good news, publishing peace, who bring good news of happiness, to publish salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Paul is steeped in Scripture, and he's got this picture of putting on the armor of God. Now, is this the only place he talks about getting dressed or putting on Christ or, or being, being clothed in armor? It's not. Check out what Romans 13 says. Uh, the night is far gone, and the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and what? Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or sexual immorality or sensuality. Those are the things, that's how they worshiped in the temple. That, that was common temple worship. Uh, not in quarreling or jealousy, that's common humanity. <laughs> but, but look what you're getting dressed with. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Billy wakes up in the morning, puts on Jesus he, oh, I, I, I clothe myself in Jesus. Make no provisions for the flesh. Don't put on the flesh to gratify its desires. And in Thessalonians, he says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith. Wait, I thought it was a breastplate of righteousness. Well, here you have a breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of hope. Wait, I thought it was a helmet of salvation, but now it's a helmet of hope and salvation. I... You know, when the Lord talks about these pieces of armor, I don't think we have to be real legalistic about it. Because Paul isn't. 
One place he, he says one thing about it, another place he says a, another thing about it. But what is the most important thing? We're clothed with Jesus Christ. We're clothed with Christ. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even in Galatians uh, 26, 27, for you are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Like there is a reality that we are clothed with Christ that we live into. And Paul's talking about that. And so he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Now, sure, there's lots of ways the devil works, but most of the time he's working on our minds. He's working on our thoughts. He's working on how we see life and think about life. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, many times when people start thinking about the demonic, some people will say there's... There's no demonic, right? I, I'm, uh, it's all materialism. And other people will see a demon under every rock, right? Under everything, you know. And he would say they're, 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 they're both wrong, right? We need kind of a balanced view. His own words, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And, and so when we start talking about the demonic, be careful because it's real, but some people can kind of fall off and, and be kind of into weirdness because they're just seeing it everywhere. So uh, I was riding a, a lawnmower this week with headphones that I could hear sermon. They're, I, they're new, and I, I really was enjoying that. And I was listening to Tim Keller talk about temptation. And it was fascinating because uh, he, he broke it down out of a, a Puritan book, a Puritan who talked about it. And I thought, man, this is so convicting and encouraging to see the schemes of the devil. And he, and he would say, Satan stimulates our self-talk, the stuff that goes on in our hearts. And there are two basic categories of those according to the Bible. There is a category of temptation, and there's a category of accusations. On one hand, you have temptation, and temptation is when we essentially have a high view of ourselves, and Satan is actually hiding God's holiness from you and how much he hates sin, and he plays up God's love. So the Lord loves me so much, and he loves me, and he loves forgiving, and I love sinning, and this is temptation, right? It's a good deal, isn't it? It, it? Paul, when he shares the gospel in Romans, he gets to a point where he asks a rhetorical question. What shall we do? Shall we go on sinning so grace may abound? And, and, and in a sense, people would go, yes, yes, we should, right? And then you have the other side, which is accusations. And, and this is where the devil gets you to think too low of yourself. So temptation, too high a view of yourself. Accusations, too low a view of yourself. And you hate yourself for your sin. And he hides God's love from you. And he plays up God's holiness and his wrath. And he, he, it's like this. Over here, he's like, go ahead and do it. And then you do it. And then he says, how can you call yourself a Christian? 
right? Like on one hand, he plays up one side, and the other hand, he plays up the accusation side. So I, uh, Tim Keller got these, these from a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It was written by uh, Thomas Brooks, I think in like the 1600s. 100s, he was a Puritan writer. And you can get that on Amazon. Um, but let me go through some of the ways that Satan tempts us and see if you actually can see some of this going on in your life. So the first way, the first device is he shows you the bait but hides the hook. Shows you the bait but hides the hook, which means you get to look at the short-term pleasures of what this would do and you hide from yourself the long-term misery of what would happen. So Adam and Eve, Eve looks and says, oh, that fruit is beautiful and, and it, it, it's, it's good to eat. And I will be like God, knowing good from evil. God's been holding out on me. Doesn't see that we live in the ramifications of that one sin, right? No, just the act. And he works this way. Does he work this way in your life? It's like, oh, it's just a little something, right? And so often we forget that the little thing can turn into a big thing. That when you do it once, it becomes easier to do it again and do it again and do it again. And maybe some of you look at your life and you're like, well, it started over here, but now I've got a highway towards that propensity or whatever it is. It starts there. And frankly, if it starts small and it's a seed and it goes on into eternity, you might call that hell, right? Or the good stuff that starts small and goes on into eternity. You might say it's a taste of heaven. So a second way that Satan tempts us is he gets us to rationalize sin as a virtue, right? I'm not really greedy. I'm thrifty. I'm not really nosy. I'm concerned. Can I share a prayer request with you about somebody else? I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just sociable, right? So we kind of we put a... A, a nice spin on the stuff, right? I failed because my teacher hates me, right? <laughs> we rationalize our sin as a virtue, as a virtue. A another way he tempts us is this. He shows us the sins of Christian leaders. So you say to yourself, well, he did it too. I mean, nobody's totally pure. Is that true? Any human totally pure? No, that, I, we, we wouldn't need a savior if we could be totally pure. So you start comparing yourself to others. This week I read something about Pastor Young E. Cho. He was the founder of the world's largest megachurch. He had a megachurch before they called it a megachurch. Want to know how many members he had? 800,000. Yeah, that's a city. It's a mountain. It was in Korea, and he had this massive church and man, did they pray and all this stuff. But as I'm reading the article, because I only knew good stuff about him, at the, towards the bottom, it's like, and then he was tried and found guilty of embezzling and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you know, another one. But you could go like, like oh, well, if he embezzled, right, then, you know, you can look at your leaders and 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 make excuses for it. Hillsong starts a church in New York City and it's like the it church and everybody loves it, but then the evil one gets involved and the senior pastor falls into a, a sin. Frankly, if you want to, to learn from your leaders how to sin, every sin has probably been done by every pastor and politician. You can just find one, right? And look at the Bible. 
I'm listening to this podcast on kind of the downfall. It's put out by Christianity Today, downfall of a, of a, good, a church and a leader. And I started thinking, you know, they're doing it with kind of a slant and an edge and everything. There's a lot of truth in it. But they could do that on the life of David. They could do it on the life of Abraham. They could do it on, like, uh, like here's Noah, the great guy, and he builds an ark, and then when he's done, he gets, you know, drunk and has this, you know, like they could do it on anybody's life. We, the Bible would say, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Look, just compare yourself to yourself. Next, Satan tempts us this way first by overstressing God's mercy. So what you say is, do it. God will forgive you. Of course God will forgive me. This is what I said earlier. It's his job, you know. Uh, The next is fifth, by making us bitter over suffering. So what you say is this, I've suffered, I deserve this. One of the powerful reasons many prominent people are always having affairs is because they say to himself, nobody knows how hard I work and how many sacrifices I make. I deserve this. I deserve this. I was reading about a famous evangelist who, who fell, and this was his language. I deserve this. I work so hard. I, I deserve this. Entitlement. I'm entitled to this. It's one of the ways Satan tempts us. Six, he shows Christians how bad people seem to be having great lives. And so your self-talk goes like this. I might as well do it. Playing by the rules doesn't pay off. Lord, look at all those people. Psalm 73. Look, look at all that they're getting and all that they're doing. And you're not, they're not having as hard a life as me. They're not having it difficulty. I might as well just jump into it full, full feet, right? Just go into sin. Because those people aren't struggling like I am. Right? Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. Surely in vain I've washed my hands in innocence. But if you know Psalm 73, it says, but when I entered the house of the Lord. I mean, there's a point where we have short-term thinking in terms of our own personal suffering and difficulty. And when you hold eternity in, when you hold the big picture in, the Lord is gracious and merciful to us. So he also tempts us this way. We compare one part of our life to another. So it's like I'm good over here, so it's okay to be bad over here, right? So I do good stuff. You know, it's like, Lord, I, I make up for my bad stuff by doing all this good stuff, or I'm good over here, so I get... Like, it's a, just another way of, of uh, schemes, another way that the devil schemes to get us to see things. So... Those are ways he tempts us. But now what's the opposite? When you fall into sin, what does he say to you? He accuses you, right? And depression is just looking over and over and over again at your failures, at my failures, right? It's just living with the knowledge that you're not enough. And why does this happen to us? You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were shamed. They felt shame. And I think the human race, we all deal with shame. Some deal with it by acting as if they don't have it and they put on a big, bigger than image picture. But we all live with this kind of, I'm not enough, right? When will people find out that I'm just not enough? And when you keep looking at your sin over and over and over again, it just piles on. 
So we need to look at our Savior more than we look at our sin. Reading a book by uh, John Gottman, and, and I think I've showed a, a little movie clip by him too. He's kind of the relationship guru. He says this, for every one negative feeling or interaction between partners, there should be five positive feelings or interactions. Stable, happy couples share more positive feelings and actions than negative ones. And, and this is true for children. This is true for workplaces. This is, like, this is true of life, saying good things. Some people will say, oh, I didn't want to say that to you because I didn't want you to get a big head, right? And you're, I'm like, I'm happy to have a big head, you know. <laughs> Mayor McCheese, remember those commercials? Um, uh, so, so this is the way. This is the way it is. And Satan comes and he just piles on, and we pile on ourselves. And it should be for every one look at our sin, five looks at our Savior. Fix your eyes on Jesus, causing you to obsess over past sins that have done damage that can't be undone. And you just keep looking at the damage. I can remember stuff I did in grade school and feel bad about it. I'd be ashamed to even tell you stuff, right? Like, if I could go back in time, I would beat myself up I was so stupid, you know? Like, I'd be like, man, you need to, like, learn right now. Like, you look back, and there's so many things that, like, oh, I wish I hadn't. Oh, if I could do it over, right? And you just can't. And the evil one can just play the, the movie of your life and of the shameful things and just say, look how bad you are, and you can end up just living in that. And that's a scheme. That's one of his schemes. Making Christians think the trouble uh, that they're going through must be punishment. So this wouldn't happen unless God was mad at me. Right? You remember Julie Andrews, uh, some of you remember Sound of Music, somewhere in my youth and childhood I must have done something good. This flips it, right? Somewhere in my youth or childhood I must have done something bad, right? And God is just punishing me now, you know? He's in it. And, and it, this is what goes on in our hearts and our minds. What did I do wrong? I must be doing... No, that's not how God works. Bad stuff does happen, but it's... We're all sinful, right? We all deserve things worse than what we're getting. Jesus took the full punishment of hell on the cross so we could be with him for eternity. On this earth, Jesus said, you will have trouble, difficulty, but he's not mad at us and doesn't hate us. How about this? Making people think that Christians couldn't possibly have inner struggles, inner feelings they have, if I were a real Christian, I wouldn't have these thoughts and desires. I mean, do you get this? I mean, the people have different thoughts and desires internally that the Bible will say, oh, that's a sin. And some people are going, oh, how could I be a Christian and have these sinful thoughts or desires? But the reality is we all have sinful thoughts and desires. It doesn't take you out of the Christian camp. But if Satan can get you to think this way, it's a bit of a death trap, or at least it's depression. Well, the scripture goes on and says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And let me point out, baseball is not in the Bible or football. <laughs> Wrestling is, all right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against 
the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this is, this is a whole new mindset, I think, for the people of God. Because what is he saying here? He, he's saying that, so heaven and earth come together, right? And, and, and I said it earlier, somehow heaven and earth come together in us. We're his temple. We are the place where people can meet God. Jesus lives in my heart through faith. But Paul is saying when you go through troubles, there are human faces to that trouble. But there's players behind it. There's something going on behind that. And Paul is saying, don't just focus and see the, the players. I mean, he's in prison by the Roman government, and he says, my battle isn't against flesh and blood. But I'm in prison by the Roman government, right? But there's something going on behind the scenes. I couldn't help but think about Jesus talking with Pilate. And Pilate says to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Look what Jesus says. You would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. So what's he saying? There's a thing behind the powers. So Jesus is going, hey, you know, when he said, Father, take this cup from me, he wasn't talking about the earthly powers. There are earthly powers. He's talking to the Father who's given authority for all this to happen. And, and Paul is saying, our battle is against there's an evil authority. Can I say this? There was a fall of man. Adam and Eve fell. But I believe there was also a heavenly creation with a fall too. There are good in the heavenly creation, but there's also rebellion going on in the heavenly creation. And that's why he's talking about rulers and authorities and powers and, and dominions that are, are battle. It's not just you got God and some like cherubim and angels. No, there's these, these other worldly powers that are against us. Look at this. Jesus is talking to uh, the Pharisees. And just as heaven meets earth in us, these powers also somehow connect on earth too. Because when he's talking to these religious guys, they say, our father is Abraham. And Jesus is like, your father's not Abraham. If your father was Abraham, you would have recognized me. But your father's the devil. So all of a sudden, the evil forces are connected with faces here. And he says, your father's the devil. And the devil and the desires of your fathers you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is a liar and the father of it. So you've got these evil forces, and now they're working through people. And Jesus is saying, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this evil age. There's something bigger going on behind the scenes. And sometimes as you're fighting and as you're seeing human faces and things, being able to go, Lord, something bigger is going on. Give me grace to see that, right? Give me the ability to recognize what's happening. And then he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand firm then. So when I started thinking about it, I'm like, wow, what does this mean to stand firm? Like how hard has it been in your life to actually 
walk with Jesus and stand up over difficulty. And my mind went to the litany that the Apostle Paul had when he started talking about his life. And he said this, he goes, I'm out of my mind to actually tell you these things. But look at this litany and ask yourself, would you have given up? Would you go, that's it? It's too hard, I'm done. He says, I have worked much harder I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. What's he talking about? Okay, they believe that if you gave 40 lashes, you would die. But if they only tore at your flesh with this kind of spiky thing, you would, 39 hits, you would live. So five times he's been beaten whipped within an inch of his life. You ever seen those pictures that are just like painful to look at of slaves that have been whipped and their their back is just like covered in scars? I have to imagine that that's what the Apostle Paul had. These things would just rip at his flesh and not just once, but five times, right? And and then he says, three times I was beaten with rods. So like sticks, right? They beat him. And once... I was pelted with stones. They stoned him to kill him, left him for dead. And and three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and in danger from bandits. Would you have given up? Paul, Paul goes, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but powers and... Like he sees the stuff behind it He sets his face like flint. He's like, I'm going to be about my mission on this planet to strengthen and encourage the church in every situation. Like He stands. He says, I've been in danger from fellow Jews. I've been in danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city, in danger in the country. When I travel, I get mugged, right? When I I go into cities, I go through difficulty, Um, In danger from false believers, I have labored and toil. I have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been naked and cold. He's been thrown in prison naked. He's he's not eaten. He's had nothing to drink. Look at this guy. When would you say, I'm done? That's it. Paul saying, when you've done everything to stand, stand. When you're naked and you're cold and you're hungry, when it's difficult to follow Jesus, stand, stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth is our identity in Christ. And having your shoes of your feet put on with the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We need to remind each other of the gospel, right? When we're over here and we're discouraged, and we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and others. And when we're over here, we need the gospel too, right? Because the gospel says, I am so sinful, Jesus had to die. And when you're feeling proud and you're feeling like, well, God loves forgiving, I love sinning, you need to go, wait, my sin did that to you, Jesus? You know, you you went to the cross because these things, this propensity, this selfish pig in me, you went to the cross for that? Help me, Lord. Help me to see that and and to live selflessly.
I mean, do you see how the gospel needs to be preached to ourselves in both circumstances? And in all circumstances, hold up the shield of faith. Because the evil one is always whispering and speaking and, and coming at you, sometimes externally, sometimes internally, with the flaming darts of the evil one. Can, can I say that many weeks, not this week, but many weeks when I'm preparing a message, something will happen to be a distraction. Sometimes it's between Gretchen and I. Remember our big fight over the refrigerator shelves? You guys, it's really important how your refrigerator shelves are organized. <laughs> I want you to know that it's critical that you get those shelves right, right? Big fight over refrigerator shelves, right? And, and I'm supposed to be like, Lord, what do you want to say to me? But no, I am frustrated over refrigerator shelves, right? Where is this coming from? Our battle's not against flesh and blood. They're like, there's a thing behind it. And I've talked to others before who will say, yeah, when God's going to use me, and I get in these situations and these difficulties, and, and it's a distractor, and the evil one knows that, right? The darts are coming in all these directions. And we hold up the shield of faith. And the, the uh, breastplate of righteousness, sometimes when I used to read about the breastplate of righteousness, I'd be like this, Lord, that's my righteousness. But my breastplate has lots of holes in it, right? How is your breastplate of righteousness? The scripture that Paul was thinking about in Isaiah said the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He, he, he saw that there was no man no, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. He's like, nobody is righteous. No, not one. What am I going to do? My own arm, the right hand of God, Jesus, will work salvation. He'll be the righteousness. So then he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation. When you take up the breastplate of righteousness, it is the Lord's armor. He is righteous. And you just hold that up and you remind the evil one when he throws those darts, I am forgiven. When Jesus looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. I don't get it. I don't understand how he loves such a wicked one as I, but he does, and he sees me as beautiful and as holy and as righteous. Hold up that shield. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. So I'm going to end with this. Um, a movie that's out right now, you can, you can rent it or buy it, uh, 12 Mighty Orphans. I, I watched it, and I'm going to ruin just a bit of it for you. And... Um, <clears throat> It's a, a true story taking place during the uh, Depression. And there was an orphanage down in Texas, maybe 160 uh, orphans in it. This is the time of the Dust Bowl. This is the time, you know, they didn't have all the medicines we have now. People died. Parents gave up their children because they couldn't support it. And so here you are, a Masonic orphanage in Texas. And a guy comes in, and he becomes a teacher there, but he also is a football coach. Now, the movie has it all happen in one year. In reality, it took like five years. But this team went on to like win state or at least come close to winning state. And towards the end of the movie, you have these guys and they're all beat up and they're all bloody and they're all discouraged. And then you have the best player on the team. And this team would chant, we are the mighty orphans. We are the mighty orphans. And this one guy's like, I'm never saying that because my mom's going to come back for me, you know? Like, I am never saying that. 
and they're all broken, and they're all bloody, and their coach is just like, should I even call the game? Because they're getting beat up out there. And all of a sudden, he goes, I am a mighty orphan. I am a mighty orphan. And the whole team starts chanting, and there's this beautiful um, uh, infusion of courage. And you and I are able to put on the belt of truth and say, I am a blood-bought child of God. I am baptized into Christ. The evil one comes against us, and we say, Lord, I am your child. Pray with me. Lord, each person here is your child. Help us to live into your armor, to, to be dressed as you are dressed, to, to put you on and to embrace this new identity that we have in you. Jesus, in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.